This is the Pastor Podcast with Randy and Andy. Andy Payton is the lead pastor at Methodist Temple United Methodist Church in Evansville, Indiana. Randy Moore is associate pastor at Methodist Temple. Their goal is to see Christ in everything and everyone. This is the Pastor Podcast with Randy and Andy. Hello, everybody. I'm Randy Moore. And hello, everyone. I'm Andy Payton. And it's good to have you all with us. Uh, this is a... This is our third episode already, and uh, for those of you who are just joining us, we are going through the 25 Articles of Religion handed down to the Methodists in America by John Wesley. And so uh, we're four in already, third podcast and fourth article. And as we get started, Andy, why don't you one more time, just for those who are joining for the first time, explain what those articles are. Yeah, the Articles of Religion, as you said, are are given to us by John Wesley, and uh, they're more or less like guardrails for our understanding of God, but more importantly, um, they're guardrails in the sense that they give us a map of how we might relate to God's presence in the here and now. Mm -hmm. And these, of course, come out of the articles, various uh, renditions of the articles in the Church of England. Uh, At this time, they had 39 articles, and Wesley edited those for the church in America, the movement in America, and then the church in America, sent 24, and then the church added one uh, to give us 25. And so that's where we are. And before we get started, I do want to ask, and this is going to become our habit here, how is it with your soul? And But before you answer that, I want to kind of talk about why I'm asking. One of the things I really appreciate about being a United Methodist is that uh, whenever we're examined, and we as Methodist pastors are examined a lot, right? I tell people that it took me two or three years before I realized that that annual meeting I had with a bunch of pastors was more than just to get together. It was another job interview. And, uh, and I'm employed, and you are too, on a year-to-year basis. And what I really appreciate about it is, is that those folks and uh, the denomination are, really are serious about how is it with your soul. It's always like the first question, right? And I think that even goes back to Wesley. So um, I love that about it. And I think they're sincere about it. I mean, there's all sorts of other things they're interested in. Are you being fruitful? Are you being effective uh, where you're serving? But they want to know, you know, how is it with your soul? Are you getting your Sabbath rest? So let's begin there. How is it with your soul this week? How is it with my soul? Um, Well, as I look under the hood of my life right now, uh, there's a lot that's going on within my spirit and my heart. Uh, this past week, my dad went on hospice, and uh, as a result of that, him, him being on the hospice, I have a lot swirling on within me. I have anxiety about when's the next shoe going to drop. I have grief about the uh, future that I thought I had with my dad is not going to be what I thought it was going to be. And then Oddly enough, mixed in all that is a sense of gratitude because throughout this journey, as I've walked with my dad, I've seen so many signs of God's presence in the midst of the heartache and the brokenness that we've experienced as a family in the last six, seven months. 
And that is reality. We did talk about that in my Sunday school class this week. Of course, we always reflect on your sermon. And and we talked about how even though you're going through this very difficult time, and I know it's not the first time that you've been through a difficult time, but my class, the folks in there are older than you are, and, and they've, you know, they've endured you know, lots of setbacks and, and endured lots of loss. And no one wants the loss. You want your father to be 100% healthy. But in the midst of it, in the midst of it, uh, our faith grows almost out of necessity. That brokenness uh, leads to a wholeness somehow. Yeah, it it's odd. I it's almost uh, counterintuitive, paradoxical. But when our our lives begin to hurt, it's then that we begin to be also become aware of a, a presence greater than. It's like it's like almost like your heart has to be broken open. It has to break open, and then you find the spark of God's love is even there in the midst of it. Yeah. And we have had loss here in the congregation. We, uh, we've lost two of our people uh, in very short order. And so that's, that's the life of the church as much as anything. And um, what I want to say about that is I have often, and I've been doing funerals for 10 years, and it'll come up in conversation that I've just come from a funeral or something, and people will say, oh, gosh, that must be really, really sad. Of course it's really sad, but it's also very rewarding to be with people during those times and to walk with people during those times. So, yes, yes, it's sad. Yes, it's sad, but it's necessary. It's, it's, it's what we do, and it's what happens in the life of the church. And what happens in the life of the church happens in life in general. Exactly. And uh, for me, throughout my years of ministry, participating in funerals and walking with people in the midst of the grief is some of the most meaningful work that I do. And it's because, well, it just connects uh, to what's happening in a person's life. And you can sense that the healing that your presence brings and the meaningfulness of being a part of of that time and that season in a person's life. So, yeah, I, I mean... I'm with you. People always say it's so hard to, to do funerals, and it is very difficult to do funerals, but it's also, oddly enough, quite life-giving when you have a sense that you're truly helping other people in the midst of their pain. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's jump into these t- 25 articles. We've done three. The first one was uh, on the Holy Trinity. The second one was on the Word or the Son of God who was made very man. And we are to the um, third and fourth one. So last week you preached on number three, the resurrection of the Christ. I'll read the definition from the articles themselves. Christ did truly rise again from the dead and took again his body with all things appertaining to the perfection of man's nature, wherewith he ascended into heaven and there sitteth until he returned to judge all men at the last day. As we've noted, uh, Andy, about these other articles, each one builds in all kinds of things. I mean, we've got we've got the resurrection, Jesus being raised from the dead. We've got uh, sitteth, uh, uh, so that's the ascension. And then we have the second coming, uh, including the judgment. Once again, there's a lot there. Oh, yes. Like you said, that I mean, there's a lot in each one of these articles. And there's there it's its own like three-part sermon series in this article alone. But one of the things that I agree with you on is like they build and uh, they point. 
And as I looked at this article, as always, I'm trying to ask the question, what does this have to do with our relationship with God today? Because, well, just to read the article, it sounds like we're talking about the future. And, and so the thing I'm trying to do in these sermons is, is talk about, yeah, I mean, they are pointing to the future in a sense, but they're also pointing to our experience with the holy today as well. Yeah. So your focus really was uh, resurrected life today. Of course, we have a hope for the future, but that's, you know, but that's nothing that we can really define. Even if you look at the scriptures, there's any number of ways to look at what might happen when we die, what, what exactly is going on there. And we're hopeful for it. But in the meantime, we can live a resurrected life today. You said this uh, in your sermon, trying to make this point. Uh, you quoted Jesus who said, the kingdom of heaven has come near, believe in the good news. And you said, let's enter into that relationship now. Yes, um, and that's basically Jesus's message. Most scholars would agree that Jesus's message concerned the kingdom of God. Um, the kingdom of God has come near, the, the kingdom of God is at hand, and of course the big question becomes what exactly did Jesus mean by the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven being near? And I think a helpful way to think about it comes in the second phrase that you mentioned, believe in the good news. Actually the word is gospel. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that really opened my mind and opened my eyes is when I understood how they understood the word gospel. Um, the term actually finds its home in the Roman Empire and the uh, context in which the Gospels were being written. And in those days, armies would go off and fight battles. And after the battle was over, and hopefully your team won, they would send a messenger back to the people with the Gospel. That the battle was over and the war was won and the people were now entering into a season of peace. Now, apply that to Jesus. The battle is over, the war is won, we're entering into a season of peace. And what is that all about? Well, God's life that we see in Jesus is greater than the realities of death. And to enter the kingdom of heaven now means we practice life now that is reflective of the life that we believe is yet to come, the life that we see in Christ. It's, it's like now, but it's also later. It's beautiful, just beautiful when you stop and think about what that means. Well, here's my quote of the week. We've talked about bumper sticker theology and uh, kind of ridiculed it, but I have to admit, I like it when I see something uh, said very succinctly. And I think this comes from Irenaeus, and I just came across it this week. It's, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. Oh, yes. That's a, I have not seen that bumper sticker yet, but it should be a bumper sticker and it should be a t-shirt because, well, that's what God is all about. God wants us to be fully alive. And what that means for Irenaeus and what that means for Christianity is that means we are fully in relationship with the God of love. Okay, let's talk about the kingdom of heaven just a little bit. Um, you talked about what it meant uh, to what the gospel means, but we're really talking about Jesus appropriating all of those things right out from under the Romans, right? I mean, the good news, as you said, that came uh, uh, from the Romans, and the kingdom uh, language did as well. Mm -hmm. And Jesus essentially says, uh, not anymore. Uh, that's one kingdom, this is my kingdom, and they are not the same thing, and my kingdom is near. Yeah, and a really simple and helpful way to think about what you're saying there, Randy, is 
Um, when we hear the phrase kingdom of God, a simple way to think about it is like, imagine this world as if God were king and live our lives accordingly. And in a sense, that's what Jesus is doing. Imagine, friends, what if God was king, what it would be like. Well, it wouldn't be like the Romans. It would be a world where there's healing. It would be a world where the poor are fed. It would be a world where people were forgiven. Violence was no more, and you could just go down the line. It would be an alternative world and an alternative way of life, at least. And so there's a radicalness to that invitation. And I, I could see why people got inspired by what Jesus had to say, because most people were peasants at that time. And so here's this person with a, the courage to offer an alternative way of seeing the world and an invitation to live into it. Mm-hmm. We talked about, or you did, you talked about the fact that as far as accounts of the resurrection in the scripture, you, you have four in the Gospels and you have another one uh, from Paul, and they, and they all differ. Um, and so I think what you suggested was, well, we could stop and we could argue about which one is right because they seem to, in certain places, uh, contradict uh, one another. But instead of doing that, let's accept them as the various portraits of Jesus that we have within the pages of the Scripture and just affirm that the followers continue to experience the presence of Jesus. Yeah, it's undeniable. I, I remember in seminary, for example, I went up to my professor, who is the, one of the most brilliant minds I've ever known. His name is Dr. Ron Allen. And I, I was a young pastor, and I went up to Dr. Allen, and I said, um, Ron, what happened on Easter? And I remember him looking at me, and he says, Andy, something happened at Easter. And uh, there's different accounts of it, but what's undeniable is that the followers of Jesus continue to experience his presence after his death. It's, it's undeniable. And, and because they continue to experience that presence, it, it gave them the courage to continue to live into the kingdom of God. And then what about us? I think about Paul, and of course we mentioned that you've got the gospel accounts, and then you have Paul's account. And Paul says, um, you know, even I came later, but even I... Uh, got this appearance from the risen Jesus. So what kind of a risen Jesus did it appear to Paul? And what kind of a risen Jesus appears to us? Right, and, and that's the question. What about us? It becomes the question. And let's just name the elephant in the room. We haven't seen the risen Christ like they talk about in the Bible. We haven't seen an appearance of the risen Christ like Paul uh, describes Well, really, what is described of Paul in the book of Acts? And so what about us? And, well, that's not an easy question to, to answer. But the thing I will throw out there is that the way that we experience the risen Christ now is in the depths of our own lives. And the truth of the matter is, I don't think we're going to experience God in an objective way like that chair is over here in your office. God's not going to just appear like that necessarily. But the way that we can experience God is more like in a subjective way. We can experience the life of God's presence in the depths of our own lives. That an analogy could be like a fish in the sea. The, the fish, they don't see the sea. They're in the sea. They're surrounded in the sea. They're swimming in the sea. And the same is true for us. We're swimming in the presence of God. And so, well, how do we experience that? We don't see it necessarily, but we can experience it in a subjective way in the depths of our own being. And and I think if you listen closely to the depths of your own heart, Randy, the depths of my own heart, what we'll find 
is that the risen Christ is truly there. All right, he is risen, and um, next up in this article, uh, he, he is at the right hand of God, and uh, he sitteth there. When I first read that, that's kind of troublesome. Like, that seems awfully passive, awfully inactive, but that's not at all what's trying to be represented there. The fact is that that's where heaven meets earth, and it doesn't have to be uh, spatially separate. For Jesus to be sitting at the right hand of God just mean that means that heaven meets earth. Here is God who took on flesh, is now back with God, and heaven meets earth. And you think about the temple, and that was where that was where God resided. And then after the temple, Christians believe that okay, it's not the temple anymore where where God resides because there is no temple. We see the presence of God in Jesus. That's where heaven meets earth. Right, right. Well, in my sermon, and I talk about the language of sitting at the right hand of God, and as you alluded to, that's odd language. I mean, what do we do with that? Well, again, it finds its home in the ancient world. A, a person who sat at the right hand of a king was the most honored one, the most favored one. In some sense, they had the same authority as the king. And so, really, when we say Jesus is ascended and he's with God, that means he's one with God. He has the same, in a sense, authority as God. Uh, translate that all together. What are we saying is, but, but like what's true about Jesus is true about God and is also true about the world around us. Uh, put even more simply, our lives work out in a Christ-like way, in a Jesus-like way, if the ascension is real. And I firmly believe it's real because I've experienced the truth of it in my own life. Yeah, this is the way you put it on Sunday. You said, we believe because down in the depth of our hearts, we know it's true because we experience it to be true. Oh, exactly. And uh, as I've said over the years, um, what makes a person a Christian is as we see Jesus, as we look at Jesus, uh, we come to realize in him, everything I ever hoped and dreamed about God is true. I mean, think about it. Can you come up with a better way of thinking about God than Jesus? I cannot. Is God healing? Yes. Is God forgiving? Yes. Is God generous? Yes. All those things we see reflected in Jesus. And I think even more, before we even saw them reflected in Jesus, they were in us. And so when we come to faith in Jesus, really it's a homecoming because we're basically coming back home to the God that knew us before we even knew God. That all sounds well and good, but you said in your sermon, wait, stop. Stop the presses, there's more. And then you took up the idea of the judgment because he's he sitteth there, but he's coming back as judge. And so the way you put it was that there there is an edge to the love. We like to we like to think about the love and we like to promote the love. But there's an edge to it, right? It's not always kumbaya, I, and this is a this is the part of the article that, well, quite frankly, makes us squirm in their seats a little bit. We don't like to think about about judgment, but there is an edge to God's love, and what I mean by that is, we cannot live against the life that we see in Jesus and get away with it for long. We break down as a society, and we break down as a people when we go against that life. Um, a society that tramples on the poor won't make it. A, a society that um, refuses to seek ways of peace but harbors violence in the end 
won't make it. But even in our individual lives, we know this to be true as well. Think about forgiveness, for example. A person who harbors resentment and refuses to forgive, well, they break down under the, under the weight of that refusal to consent and give in. That suggests to me, at least, there's a power greater than us, and we can either work with it or work against it. And when we work against it, we break down, but we, when we work with it, um, we become alive. Like Irenaeus would say, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. We become alive as we consent to the life of Christ working within us. So resurrection is now and, and, and judgment is now, and it works to create in us the kind of people God wants us to be. Right. And that reminds me of something else. I was, I was <laughs> trying to find a way to say it in my sermon Sunday, but I, I couldn't. Randy, in a sense, the resurrection is the judgment. It is the judgment. What do I mean by that? Well, in the resurrection, what we find is that God's life is greater than the very powers of sin and death. God's life is greater. And that's not only true in the future, it's also true in the present. We could either go along with it or go against it. The choice is ours. Yeah. And then another provocative statement you made, um, which is gospel uh, truth, I believe, is that the key to all of this is dying before we die. We're talking about the future. We're talking about the future resurrection. We're talking about the future judgment. We're talking about dying today. Explain what you're talking about there. Yeah. Um, well, I, I take that that idea from, of course, Jesus, where he one of his big things is denying oneself. And so my thinking there is that we don't have to wait for our lives to fall apart. We can die to ourselves now, say yes to the life of Christ before things begin to crumble around us. There's an invitation there for us. The question, of course, is then, what are we dying to? What is the self that we're dying to? And the simplest way that I can explain it is this. We die to that conceptualized version of ourselves that in the modern world, we spend most of our time, energy, effort, and resources trying to build up. What is the conceptualized version of ourselves? Well, it's that part of us that believes I am what I do. I am what I have. I am what other people think about me. Now, it's not that we forget those things about ourselves. I mean, I know my name. I know where my house is. I know who my family is. I know all that. But when we are dying to that part of ourselves, what we're saying is we're, we're putting that on mute. And we're realizing that there's a, there's a deeper dimension of our lives. And we basically are able at that point, if we're able to put on mute, we, we come to realize, hey, look, there's, a, there's another life. There's a bigger life seeking to live through me and through you and through everyone. Um, and so when we die to ourselves, that's what we're letting go of. And it's a message that goes back to Jesus. It goes back to Paul, who said in Galatians, it's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. And I think you're, we're in agreement on this. He's not just talking metaphorically. I think he means it literally that Christ lives in him. Yes. I, I, I don't know how else to understand what Paul is saying there. Uh, he has come to realize that what he once thought of as his life is actually part of a, a greater life that he's calling Christ, a greater life that is alive and is conscious and is working through him. 
and through the world around him. Um, another way to think about it is when he has that aha moment, he stops persecuting and hurting other people. He stops. Why? Well, the, the life in him is connected to the life in them, and he realizes, you know, that's not the way any longer. And I would argue that's the invitation of the church, really. That's what we're trying to convince people to see is, hey, look, we're all a part of this divine life, this bigger life. And if we can learn to see it both within ourselves and one another, that's the path forward as a people. And seeing it within ourselves and and in other people brings me to the last point I want to make about this article. Um, You talked about mindfulness, which is not necessarily um, a church uh, concept, um, but you called it mindfulness plus. This was my favorite part of the sermon. Yes, I I got that. I, I was I had to think about where did I get this idea, and um, post sermon I realized I heard that from Dr. Lisa Miller, who is no Christian theologian at all, but she is an Ivy League professor, I think at Columbia, and she invited people to practice mindfulness plus. Well, what is that? Well, it's essentially a, a secular way to talk about what I'm suggesting that um, we're a part of this greater life, but also the plus. This life is interacting with me, that we could enter into a relationship with the deeper dimension of our lives. God is much more than just some sort of energy. God is much more than just a set of rules. God is offering us a loving relationship and an interaction. And when we learn to see that, the best way I can describe that experience is all of a sudden I look forward to going outside because I can't wait to see what God has to show me. That's all swirling around when we talk about mindfulness plus. It's it's such a helpful way to think about it. Yeah, that connects to your analogy of the fishbowl, right? The fish in the fishbowl, unaware that the, that the fish is even in a fishbowl. It's just, right. yeah, it's, yeah. it's the environment of the fish. You're You're in it and you might not see it, but you can see it. You can wake up to it. And and boy, when we wake up to it, it makes all the difference in the world. I, I came across a great quote I've been thinking about this week, and it's from some sort of French philosopher that I'm not able to pronounce his name. But, but here's the quote. It said, uh, in the midst of the winter of my life, I found that there was a summer within me pushing against all the unhappiness. And I'm like, that's it. That's it. In the midst of the coldness of this world and all it brings, there is the warmth of God's presence, the Christ within us. If we but just become aware of it, awake awake of it, um, it's just transforming. Eternal life, uh, resurrection today. That's article number three in the Articles of Religion. Uh, This Sunday, article four, so let's do a bit of a preview. We don't want to give away the whole sermon, but uh, number four is of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost proceeding from the Father and the Son is of one substance, majesty, and glory with the Father and the Son, very and eternal God. Yeah, but that's, that should be a fun one. <laughs> um, and the Holy Spirit, of course, is, is one of those aspects where if not the aspect of God that we have, a str- we have struggles talking about and making sense of. Um, but here's a little preview of what I'm going to talk about in my sermon. 
basically, if if Jesus is everything that we can understand about God in human form, then the Holy Spirit is God made personal within us. It's that it's that experience of the divine love within us and waking up to that relational aspect that I've been talking about in our session for today. Okay. All right, we can go on, but um, let's not uh, let's honor the time of uh, of our of our listeners and, and our time too, and we'll wrap it up there. We want to thank you for listening, and uh, and to let you know that in some ways this is kind of an inside job. We're talking to the people that we serve, but we know that there are others out there who are listening who don't necessarily uh, go to church here at Methodist Temple where we serve. But we do believe that what we're talking about here stands on its own. And uh, but we would invite you uh, if you'd like to come and worship with us. You're more than welcome. Uh, if you'd like to do that virtually, that's also a possibility. Um, and, um, you know, you can always uh, follow these, and we can just, you know, we're going to take it all the way through 25 of these, and uh, you're welcome to join us for all of them. And I would add, if you have any questions, don't be afraid to email one of us and ask, because we like fielding the questions, and we like wrestling with these topics, or we wouldn't be doing this podcast. Also, I'd like to say thank you for your time. Um, People having people listen to us makes it makes it well, at least for me it makes me feel like I'm a part of a community. Yeah. Yes, and I'll say that too. Thank you so much for listening, and have a great week. And we will see you next week. This has been the Pastor Podcast with Randy and Andy. You are welcome to join us at Methodist Temple in person or online. Methodist Temple is at 2109 Lincoln Avenue in Evansville, Indiana. Our traditional Sunday morning worship service is at 8.30 with our contemporary service at 11. Log on to our website at methodisttemple.church. We see Christ in you.